0: Dave. Welcome. Grab a Bible if you've got it. We're entering our time of teaching. If you don't have one, there's some in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we're back to saying you can take one of those with you. So it's the most important communication that's ever happened in the history of the world. So it's good to have that on the bookshelf if you don't own a Bible. We'd love to let that be a gift from us to you. So a bit nostalgic this morning. This is my last sermon in our series in Exodus. Pastor Ryan will be up here next week putting a capstone on the Exodus story, so you don't want to miss that, but this is my last sermon, so uh, if I weep a little bit, I've just loved this sermon series so much. Me and Gregor were just talking about how beautiful it is to, under, it helps you understand the whole story and understand who Jesus is, and the most important thing you can know in all of your life is who Jesus is, to come to that answer to that question, who is Jesus? And so hopefully, Exodus has been like it has been for me, eye opening to understand all these things that we've said and talked about when it comes to Jesus. Today will be no different. Chapter 39 of 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. We put the finishing touches on the story today. If you remember, this is the diagram I drew on day one of the Exodus series that God moves us out of something and there's always a season of wilderness cause, and then he's going to move us into something else. And that comes in every area of our life just like it did in the life of Israel. So Israel's moved out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the presence of God. We see that in our relationships. When we're in bondage or trapped, God will rescue us from that. Usually there's a time of wilderness and then he'll move us into something new. Today, We'll talk about the final piece of the puzzle, the final key to experiencing that full story of God in your own life, the full Exodus story in your own life. So what passage could possibly help us with that? Well, let's look at it. Exodus 39, Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so near the beginning. Exodus 39, we'll put it on the screen here as well. Exodus 39, verse 1, says this. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments. So fashion is the key to experiencing the full exodus of God. Let's see what they say. For the ministering in the holy place, they made the holy garments for Aaron, that's Moses' brother, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, and they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into the threads to work into the blue and purple and the scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod, attaching shoulder pieces, and joined it as its two edges, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece and with it, and he made it. "'of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, "'as the Lord had commanded Moses. "'They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of, of gold filigree "'and engraved like the engravings of a signet, "'according to the names of the sons of Israel. "'And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod "'to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, "'as the Lord had commanded Moses. "'He made the breastpiece in skilled work "'in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, "'and fine twine linen.' It was a square. They made the breastpiece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled, and they set it in four rows of stone. So I'm gonna pause there, and I could keep reading detail after detail of these priestly garments. Chapter thirty-nine, the great crescendo of the Book of Exodus, is about making clothing. What in the world does this have to do? with God's plan to redeem his people. Let me show you a picture of everything, so I don't have to read it. It's A lot of names of gems that I can't pronounce. So this is a picture of what the priestly garment might have looked like. This is what Aaron, the high priest, would have worn. Clear enough? Again, like last week. Let's pray, we'll head home, and adjust our wardrobe accordingly no let me try to explain why this is so beautiful and why this is the last piece of instruction that the people of god do remember we talked about last week they hear the word and they do the word this is exactly the instruction god had given them for the priestly garment in particular for the high priest and how he would serve in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle which would be at the center of the encampment where God would dwell with his people. Why is this the last thing? And to do that, I'm going to have to ask you to join me at the imagination station. Are you ready? Are you coming to the station, to the train station? We're going to get on the dream dream train, steam train, one of Grayson's favorite books. We're going to dream together and imagine together. Are you ready for this? Is it too early? Is it warm enough in here? We're going to go to another place. And I want you to imagine a young family, a farming family, circa 1830s, living in rural Illinois, 1830s, and one morning, as the father of the family was out tending to the farm animals, all of a sudden, he sees a strange glow in the pile of hay near the barn. What is that? So he walks over to the hay, and he begins to search through it. And glowing out of the hay, he picks up this rectangular, flat, rectangular box, and it's glowing with, with an unnatural light, a strange light. He's never seen a light like this. In fact, it, here's an exact replica of that phone with great pictures of my boys on the front. This is what it, this is what it, this is what it looked like and the strange glow upon it pops up a bubbled message and in the bubble reads these words hello orville click with your finger this address 3272 olga road olga washington Click on it and follow the instructions that come up next and you and your family will find life to the fullest. Well, Orville's a little taken back and he begins to consider, where does this come from? Can it be trusted? And so he clicks on the bright screen. And what pops up in front of him is a map of places he'd never been and a blue line that directs him towards a body of water. And now he must decide, do I pack up my family and go? And after more deep consideration, he decides to go. He packs up. He sells all of his stuff, he buys a wagon, he loads up his family, and he hits the road. He's given everything to follow these instructions. And he heads out, making his way ultimately to Independence, Missouri, where he heads out on a trail. He'll cross the Kansas River, he'll see Fort Larmy, past Chimney Rock, traverse two impossible mountain ranges, all on his way, needing to hunt buffalo as he goes, avoiding measles, snake bites, typhoid, cholera, dysentery. And the last big decision, do I float down the Columbia River or hire a raft? And eventually, they get to the end of the Columbia. And there they are. They turn north, they head up following the blue line and the blue arrow, all along the way divine inf- intervention seems to keep them alive sparing him and his family until he ends up at a scenic bluff at the edge of the sea looking out the blue line telling him to go further but the sea stopping him what 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 kind of instructions are they he said I'm close to it, but I can't quite get there. So he asks around to the indigenous peoples, and they say, this is Anacortes. But the line says, go further. This can't be the final destination. This isn't full of the promises that this instruction gave to me. So he takes his family down the slope into the sandy beaches, and he inches as close as humanly possible to that promise that's still out there the map still pointing him to go further but there's no way across he can see it he can see that there is land and that land is what we call orcas island but he can't get there you see there's no ferries yet 1830 there's no way to get there How could this glorious device bring me all this way to this point just to to keep me short, he asks. And then all of a sudden, around the bend, comes a large canoe, big enough to take his whole family across. And he sees this strange character in the canoe, a guide of sorts, which apparently this guide has amazing hair, if you look at the pictures of him. (laughs) Could be all the fish he ate, Omega-3. We're not sure why. We were talking about this week with a friend. Why does Jesus always have such beautiful hair? Oh, spoiler alert. It's Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Hello, my name is Jesus. Can I help you find where you want to go? They again deeply consider, could this be a part of the same instruction that was given to me all those months long ago? Is this the final piece? Will I hop into this canoe with this Young man, is this the way to get to Orcas Island? That address I gave you was the address for Mount Constitution. If you've ever been there on Orcas, one of my favorite places in all the country, all the world, and you look out over the San Juan Islands, it's beautiful. Orcas may not be the fullness of life that God has promised us, but it's close. We could all have a little bit more Orcas Island in our life, I think we'd be okay. Okay. How do you get there? We're so close. This is what it is in the tabernacle. We're so close. We're right here on the edge. We're almost there. We've almost experienced the fullness of what God said, that I'll dwell among my people, and you'll have access to my glory and fullness. This is the divine message that he gave to Moses when he was a rural farmer, when he asked him to go take his people out of Egypt When Moses took them through the wilderness, when they received instruction from God along the way, when God miraculously intervened to bring them there alive, when he gave them the instruction for the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle in obedience to God. And yet there's one final chapter. Not quite there. There's one thing left. So you could say it like this God's told us where he lives, he's given us the address. The people have arrived there and they come to the door of the tent of the Holy of Holies, which as, if you remember, the tent is divided into two parts, the holy place and then the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is the throne room of God. God's presence symbolically and in a special way for the people of Israel resides in that room. And yet the people aren't allowed to go in. It's like getting to God's house knocking on the door, it's an Airbnb, and you don't have the key or the code to get in. I can't get in. (laughs) Why not? God wants me to have his full presence. We've, We've followed his instruction. We've given away our valuable things so that it can be built. And yet there's still something blocking our entrance into the Holy of Holies. And what we'll see, if you keep reading your Bible is that the only person that gets to go into the Holy of Holies, but once a year, is the high priest. And that's on what's called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Still celebrated by observers of of Judaism. It's the one day of year where the high priest, just one person, after purifying himself, can just for one day be in the Holy of Holies and not die. And he gives sacrifice for the people. He takes in an offering of blood, a life for life, and he he asks for forgiveness for the people. Remember remember the 12, the, the rows of four, with three gems each that we just read about? That represents the 12 tribes of Israel. So symbolically, he's bringing in all 12 tribes, the full nation of Israel, into the presence of God and offering atonement for their sin. That's the way God stays with the people. It's through the offering of sacrifice through the high priest, the giving of life to keep life on the day of atonement. But for the rest of the year, and for the rest of the people, they knock, but they have no key. Wait. You might be thinking. It seems like there's got to be more to this journey, more than this for the people of God. And the answer is there is. There's one final key related to this position of high priest that ultimately Jesus comes to fulfill. Jesus will come and he will be the new great high priest. We're going to read about that today. Jesus is the key to experiencing the fullness of God's promises. You can't experience it without him. So we're going to see why. Now, very quickly, let me remind you of the big themes of Exodus. Freedom, God, freedom from slavery and bondage, freedom for worship and God's presence, right? So freedom was one of the big themes we talked about over the last 38 chapters Law. Law is the Ten Commandments, the other law he gives us, which are God's direction to us, his instruction to us. And then finally, the other big theme of Exodus is presence. So these three big themes only come together in the position of the high priest. God is moving us out, each and every one of us, out of freedomlessness Out of directionlessness, out of presencelessness. He's moving us out of those things to move us into a freedom filled life, a direction filled life, and a presence filled life. Now, without the high priest, you can have some freedom, you can have some direction. You can even follow each and every law of God. You can be as obedient as obedience can be. You can give generously to the projects that God puts before you. You can live nearly a perfect life and yet never experience his presence. The answer is because you need a high priest. Because the presence of God cannot be fully experienced and drinking in without the forgiveness of sin. Our imperfection, no one, even even if you're really good at following the law, no one follows it perfectly. And so everyone falls short of the law and direction God has given. Everyone lacks something. There's some gap in the resume. There's some gap in our ability. There's some gap in our capacity to make it all the way back into the presence of God, which is why we need a high priest. This is tough. This is why sometimes people walk away from Christianity. Because it's out of their control. They need help. They actually aren't enough. But once you accept that, there's so much freedom. And then so much presence if you find the key. Okay. So do I need a new wardrobe? No, you're not the high priest. (laughs) Okay, so I need a great pastor. Dave, take me to the promised land. Nope, sorry. I purposely wore a very plain, bought it on Amazon black shirt today, (laughs) to remind you there is no robe here, there is no ephod, there are no gems. Thanks for noticing. I am no priest. No high priest, as we'll see. Teaser. (laughs) That is not me. Guess what I don't do? There's no blood. I'm I'm making no sacrifices up here on behalf of the people because the sacrificial system is no longer needed. Well, why is that? Why don't we need a high priest now like they needed in the wilderness? And to answer that question, you need to turn to the New Testament. The Old Testament is life before Jesus. The New Testament is life after Jesus. We have the Gospels that record Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. Then we have Acts, which is the rise of the early church. And then we have these letters called the Epistles, which are letters written to churches that have been started because they'd experienced new life in Jesus. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrew, Hebrews. And, and the book of Hebrews is actually authorless. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And actually, watch me do, I'm going to do a, I'm actually going to use a different translation of the Bible. this is an, we usually teach out of the ESV, but i 'm going to read out of the CSV, another good translation because it, I like the way it flows in the book of Hebrews and i 'm going to actually just like overwhelm you with scripture reading. <laughs> so take a deep breath and you can we 'll have it on the screen for you, uh, but if you want to follow lo- along, you can as well. And the book of Hebrews is basically Book The reason why they call it Hebrews is that's the ethnicity of the the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. So it's really, um, nobody knows who wrote it, but it's pretty clear that it's written to uh, people primarily of Jewish roots who would have struggled to understand why the Christian church no longer had the sacrificial system, why they no longer had a high priest. And what we'll see here today is a very clear instruction about who Jesus is, okay? This is the word of God. This is what God has told us about his son Jesus so that we would know how to approach and experience God in full. Okay, you ready? Just press in with with every ounce of, of your deep soul to hear this is God speaking to you. This is God telling you who his son Jesus is. So don't take this lightly. Don't just like wait till I'm done to get back to storytelling. No, no, no. This is the life. Hear this life. Are you ready? Hebrews 3, verse 1 to 6 says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. No wonder I like it. The apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and hope in which we boast. Now imagine a people who had heard time and time again Exodus taught. For 39 chapters we've been hearing about all that Moses did. Moses is elevated. So this people that that worship God through the Old Testament, they would have struggled to put Jesus equal to Moses, and he's saying, no, Moses was a great servant, but this is actually Jesus' house. He is our great high priest. Now jump to chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living And effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It cuts deep. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. You see? No one perfectly follows the instruction of God. All have fallen short of his instruction, and there's a gap in the record. There's a debt for the sins of this life. So what's next? Verse 14. Therefore, it's always good when you hear therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's what made the high priest so valuable. He was one of the people. He understood what it was like. And so he walked in as a representative of the people before God. And then he walked back out as a representative of God to the people. See how he connected? Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, was tempted in every way, the Bible says, so he can sympathize with our weakness. He understands. Verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Wait, 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 wait. I thought no one could approach the throne of grace, the Holy of Holies, except one high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. Hebrews says no. Approach that throne because the veil has been torn. Approach it with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, just like we're reading in Exodus. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he also is clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for, our own sin, for his own sin, as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself, instead a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. He's talking about the old high priests. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father, also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to get into Melchizedek. He was this Old Testament figure that was a priest, and Abraham gave him a tithe of money, and this was appointed by God. So he's saying, listen, God can make high priest whoever he wants. God can say, this is the way heaven meets earth. This is the way humanity and God are mediated through this high priest. God calls the high priest, and he's made Jesus high priest. Verse seven, during his lifetime... He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So even though he was the son of God, God in the flesh, he still, having put on flesh, had to learn obedience, and he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jump ahead. Chapter 8. By the way, I highly recommend, now that we're going to go through all this, read through. If you don't have something you're reading right now in your daily time with God or your regular time with God, even if it's not daily, go read Hebrews since we're talking about it. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point of what is being said is this, we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So Jesus didn't just enter an earthly tent, he's about to say, he entered the heavenly tent, the actual throne room. So listen what he says, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those who are offering gifts prescribed by the law. So there are already high priests in Jerusalem. He says, this is different. These serve, these earthly, as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, quote, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. That's Mount Sinai. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is a mediator of a greater covenant which has been established on better promises. For if the first covenant, that's the covenant we've been reading about in Exodus, the first agreement between God and man, had been Faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second covenant. But finding fault with his people, God says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And here he's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. He goes on, quotes more, we're going to skip that, and go to chapter 9. Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up, and in, its, in the first room, which is called the holy place, where the lampstand, the table, the presentation of loaves, that's where that was. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. It had a gold altar, incense, the Ark of the Covenant, covered with the gold on all sides. And it was a gold, there was a gold jar containing the manna, that's the bread that came down from heaven, while they were in the wilderness. Also, Aaron's staff that budded, and then the tablets of the covenant, or the Ten Commandments. The cherubim of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. So it goes on. With these things prepared like this, the priests enter into the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offers for himself first, and for the sins of the people, that, had committed, uh, that they had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations that only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. But Christ... "...has appeared, as a high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled... "...could sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish," that's without sin, "...to God? How much more will that cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Therefore, he," that's Jesus, "...is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance." Because a death has taken place for redemption, for the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You thought I was done. Chapter 10. <laughs> Last one. Chapter 10. Since the law, chapter 10, verse 1. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, since everything we've read about, about the tabernacle is only a shadow of the good things to come. Sorry, I lost my place. The shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshiper by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year after year after year, unendlessly, that's what he's saying. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshippers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sin. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice or offering, but you prepared a body for me. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he said this, After he said, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law, he then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices, time after time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus after offering one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Jump to verse 18. Now where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer an offering for sin. So, why don't we give an offering? <laughs> why don't we do sacrifices? Because we have a new high priest. A high priest who himself became the sacrifice, who was himself perfect. And unlike a created animal, he was the creator. Jesus is the creator of all things. And he actually shed his blood. To be the forgiveness of sin for all who turn to Him. If you're just looking big picture at the entire Bible, here's what you'd learn. We learn in Exodus, first of all, about the Levitical priesthood from the tribe of the Levites, this one particular group, this one particular tribe set aside by God of the 12 tribes to be mediators between God and the people, to offer sacrifices. For one high priest to enter on the day of atonement to give sin for all the people. We see that, but we see that it's not enough. Then comes on the scene this Jesus who becomes a new kind of high priest, a forever kind of high priest. Just like the Levitical high priest wore that breastplate over his heart where he took on the 12 tribes and he wore them to represent them, Jesus, God's son, came from heaven to earth and put on what? Flesh. A new breast piece to do what? Represent all humanity. Not just 12 tribes now, but everyone who wears this same flesh. Jesus now has their names written on his heart, just like the Levitical priest. Jesus is now a high priest for all nations, not just the nation of Israel. We learn that through the New Testament. But there's a third thing that we learn through the New Testament. Like, I want you to get, like, I just preached the gospel to you, okay? Like, that's the gospel. Jesus died for your sin, and if you wear this flesh called human flesh and you turn to him, he's already died in your place and he's given a once and for all sacrifice. Your sin is remembered no more by God. You are clean and pure and able to come into God's presence. So, the main thing I want you to get is that. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, turn to Jesus and accept that gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay him back for it. You just take it as a gift and open it and experience God's presence through Jesus. He's in the throne room. He hears our prayers. That's why we, you might hear us pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. He is now the high priest who hears our prayers, communicates it to the Father, in some mysterious triune way, how the Father and the Son sit together in the great throne room of God. He does that for you. But the New Testament teaches us one more thing. It's actually something that is teed up and teased here in Exodus. You may have seen it if you're reading along. What does Exodus tell us? that God is making, why he's pulled the people out, why he's moved them out of, of, of slavery in Egypt, he said, I'm going to make a what? Nation of priests. You remember hearing that? Well, guess what? That language is picked up again by Jesus and the apostles, and in the New Testament, over and over again, you hear this refrain, That now the church, which is the people of God from every tongue, tribe, and nation who call upon the name of Jesus, who become this new people, this new tribe, you could say this new Levitical priesthood, are all priests of God. Not high priests, because Jesus is the high priest. But we are all priests, which are what? Helping connect people far from God to come near to God. It's called the priesthood of all believers. You could Google that, look it up, and find the verses that relate to it. So just like the Levitical priests were there to help humanity and God come back together, so too, now the priesthood of all believers, all those who call upon the name of Christ, our job is to bring people far from God, near to God. We have now been set apart by God as his priests. And what do we wear? What is our clothing? We wear the garment of Christ. We've talked about that over and over again. We now wear Christ and bring him, because he's the high priest, into every social circle we're in, into family gatherings, into our cohorts. We wear Christ and wear the breastpiece of Christ and bring him now into the conversation. The consciousness of the people to our city, etc. We are now this priesthood of believers. It's an amazing calling. It's amazingly challenging, but it's what we're being called to as God's people. Now you say to yourself, How's this going? And I'd say, probably for most of us. Maybe not so great. Maybe we don't succeed at being a priesthood because we've forgotten that's what we actually are. Like is this new to you? Like did you have you ever been told this that you're a priesthood? We forgot what business we're in. We're not in the business of calling people out. We're in the business of bringing them back to God. We're priests. I heard a story. You may have heard this as well. Um, I think I'd heard it before, but early in 2000s, a guy named Reed Hastings walked in to the boardroom at Blockbuster Video in Dallas, Texas. And he said, listen, I've got an offer to make. I've got a new young company and it's not, uh, we're struggling to make ends meet. Last year we lost $57 million. (laughs) And we're here We believe in the concept. We'd like to sell it to you, Blockbuster. It's crazy. It was early 2000s. It feels like there hasn't been a Blockbuster around. Spoiler alert. For years. (laughs) Well, it hasn't been that long. And he said, I'll sell you my company for $50 million. The CEO of Blockbuster basically laughed at him. (laughs) That's what I imagine a CEO laughing like. He said, no thanks, good luck, son. And Reed Hastings walked out that door. Do you know what company Reed Hastings started? Anybody know? Netflix. For $50 million, Blockbuster could have owned Netflix. You probably don't have to uh, guess. Netflix is worth a little bit more than $50 million at this juncture. And it's not due to inflation. What happened? <laughs> what was it that this blockbuster — and just so you know, I don't know, Ben, you'd know this is there one blockbuster left in Oregon, or did that one close too? OK. OK, if we've got one blockbuster left in the entire world, and it's in Oregon in a small town where it's just really a novelty shop at this point. What happened? Well, Blockbuster forgot what business they were in. Blockbuster thought they were in the DVD you know, movie rental business. That wasn't the business Blockbuster was in. Blockbuster was in the entertainment industry or business. Their job was to figure out how to help entertain the masses. Now, we can say what we want to say about what Netflix has done to destroy our minds and corrupt our souls... The point is Blockbuster missed the boat because they forgot what business they were in. Listen, as the people of God, we got to remember what business we're in. We're not in the business of being right all the time, living perfectly, calling out the culture at every chance we get. We're in the business of helping people far from God reconnect with their creator. That's the business we're in we're priests. Each and every one of us, the Bible tells us. We get to do, as sort of the vice regents to our high priest Jesus, his work in the world to reconnect people to his promises. That's our business. And if you're a follower of Jesus in here and you've forgotten that, I want to say, don't miss that boat. <laughs> that is the promise that continues to grow and grow, that you get to be a partaker in an internal inheritance and be part of God's plan to help people get to that far shore and experience the full presence of God. You've been freed from your sin so that you can do it. You've been given instructions so that you know how to do it. Now, all you have to do is get on board with being God's priests in the world, helping people find God again, Helping them know that it's through Jesus that they connect with God. That through Jesus' sacrifice, their sins are forgiven. That through Jesus' intercession, we can now talk to God and enter his throne room with Jesus. He walks with us into the throne room. He says, this is my buddy Dave. He's got a few things he'd like to ask. We get to be a part of that for people. What an honor and a blessing. Let's not forget that. My prayer for this church is that when people look back on the work that we've been able to do at Sedaris, that they say that work helped people find God again. We're not going to change the culture. The culture is going to do what it wants to do. We're going to provide this alternative life, which is a life lived Seeking after the presence of God with every part of our soul. And at times we're gonna find it and we're gonna help other people find it and it's gonna be glorious. So what are a couple things that you can do to partner in that? Just a couple really simple things that you can do. This is what priests do. They actually talk to people and they ask them, How are you doing? Are you struggling with anything? Can I help you in your struggle against that thing keeping you from the presence of God? What can I do? Can we meet weekly? Can we study the scriptures? What can I do to help you in your wrestle against sin and temptation and bondage for and towards the presence of God? How can I help you? That's what priests do. The second thing priests do is they ask how can I pray for you? Priests have this great responsibility to pray for the people. And I'm not, I'm not the only priest in the room. Ryan's not the only priest in the room. You're all priests. You should be asking people sincerely, how can I be praying for you? And then taking, because you have the presence and spirit of Christ with you, taking those prayers and interceding on their behalf to the Lord. You, you won't find, I've never had this happen to me, maybe somebody has, where you go to even a random stranger, or somebody you've just met, or somebody at the checkout line that you can tell is just struggling, and you ask them, hey, could I, would it be all right if I just prayed for you? Or is there something I can pray for you about? Almost everybody will respond positively. Why? Because they understand at some deep level that it's not a bad thing to have somebody praying for them. They might say something like, well, thanks for thinking of me. That's Okay. Ask people, even, even people you've just met, say, hey, is there something I can pray for you about? That's part of your job as a priest. And it's our job. So that at the end of the day, we might get to be a part of this great story of people looking around the bend and seeing this old canoe come down. Choosing, maybe after much consideration for years and years, that you know what? This is kind of sketchy. <laughs> I'm going to get in that canoe with that man with great hair. Let's pray.